an article that I found this week that I think might be helpful. Um, how many of you have ever heard, I mean, I know you're familiar with the name Benjamin Franklin. We know who Benjamin Franklin is, don't we? Benjamin Franklin was quite the pithy gentleman. He had lots of things that he said that were these little quips and proverbs that, that were very practical in their application. And he said one one time that I think proves itself true, and you could probably verify this, most of you could, uh, he said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, this is very sad, considering that I think everybody in my household is a night person. Um, but here we are. Ben Franklin was actually right. And I found an article this week called, Seven Ways Science Proves Early to Bed and Early to Rise Really Works. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'm, I'll read you the, the top seven points and see if this might be uh, an adjustment that you might want to make. Uh, in your life. First, it helps you to better deal with negativity. Uh, second, it enhances your chances of success. And this is one of the reasons why it does that is uh, generally rising early means being proactive and proactive people tend to succeed more than reactive people. So it enhances your chances of success. Third, morning people are more persistent, cooperative, agreeable, conscientious, and proactive. That's pretty good. Four, sleep keeps you healthy. Five, it reduces stress and makes you happier. This one I thought was good. Here's two scenarios. You have to be out of the door by 8 a.m. and you sleep in until 7.30. You're rushing to take a shower, brush your teeth, grab something to eat, and make sure you have everything you need for the rest of the day. Versus if you woke up at 6, that gives you two hours not only to get ready, but also catch up on emails, news, or work on a pet project. Most importantly, it makes your mornings less stressful, which in turn will make your days less stressful. So it reduces stress and makes you happier. Uh, number six, you procrastinate less. A 2008 study found that early risers didn't procrastinate as much as people who stayed up later. Shouldn't come as a surprise since early risers tend to be proactive. And then seven, my personal favorite, and the reason I need to make all these changes in my life is that sleep makes you look better. Um, so early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you know, the one day of the year when you do not have to convince children of this is what day? Christmas. Well, why do you have to work to make children, convince children of that? Well, because if it's Christmas morning, Christmas morning doesn't get here until Christmas Eve is over, does it? Well, how, what's the quickest way for Christmas Eve to be over? You go to bed. And then when you wake up on Christmas morning at 4 o'clock as a child, and your mom and dad are still knocked out because they've been, you know, busy all of the days before and they're tired, that child runs in there and goes, Mama, Daddy, Mama, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And that child will not wake up at 4 a.m. any other day of the year. But they will wake up at 4 a.m. on Christmas because they think early to bed, early to rise gives me my presents and lets me play with them. That's what they think is going on. Christmas morning, we all want to wake up early, whether, whether or not we do now. There has been a point in our life when we all wanted to wake up early so we could get started. The quicker we could get started, the better. But isn't it funny how it seems as we go on in life, some of that enthusiasm just kind of dampens not just for Christmas but 
Things just kind of get routine. And you notice that things just kind of go and go and go and go and go. And things tend to be the same and the same and the same and the same and the same. Well, I titled this sermon Christmas Morning this morning because of what Paul says in Romans 13, 11 through 14. So if you would stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in verses 11 through 14. Paul says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Father, thank you so much that the light of Christ, the light of Christmas is dawning. That it has dawned and it has communicated to us that the night is far spent. That the new day is quickly approaching. And Lord, I pray that we would rise from our sleep, rise from our slumber. And Lord, that we would obey you in the time we have before the sun rises on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, in in these few verses, short little passage, um, Paul is trying to communicate... Guys, the, 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 a new day is coming. A new era in human history is quickly approaching. And the question is, are you going to be ready for it? That from the first cry of that baby in Bethlehem, on that very first Christmas, life has not been the same on earth. That it is not possible to look at the birth of Jesus and say everything continues now as it has always continued. Because at that very first cry, stop and think for just a second. Stop and think. That even today in 2018, if you look at a calendar, we divide it into two halves, don't we? Like if you look at the years, you've got all these years B.C. And you've got all these years A.D. B.C. before Christ, A.D. Anno Domini, Latin for the year of our Lord. We divide human history around the birth of Christ. For a very good reason. That there's a massive shift in the calendar of redemptive history when Jesus came. Now, some folks don't use B.C. and A.D. anymore. They use C.E. and they use B.C.E. and C.E. before Common Era and Common Era. Like, no, that's an artificial distinction. You're still dividing it around when Jesus was born. You're just scared to say Christ. But we divide human history around when Jesus, before Jesus came, and after Jesus came. Think for a second that when you hang up your tree and you hang up your lights and you put out the poinsettias and you put out the garland and you put out the nativity scene and you put out the Santa and you put out the sleigh and you put out the snowman and and you put the gifts under the tree, you're not celebrating a, a, a sales period. You're celebrating the second person of the Trinity 
The eternal Christ taking on human flesh, becoming a man and dwelling among us. There has never been anything like that in the history of the world and there never will be again. That this is in every sense a new era and that's what we're talking about today. So I want us to talk about three I guess maybe states of mind and actions that we should have based on knowing that we have entered a new time period from the very first moment that Jesus entered this world as a baby that first Christmas. And first I want us to ask, are we aware of what time it is? Now, I, I laugh. Uh, it, it's almost kind of a preacher joke. Not, not a joke that preachers tell, but a joke among preachers. That the first thing that you see when you stand up in a church in your preaching, whether it's you know your home church or anywhere else, is there always seems to be a clock hanging in the back of the room. Uh, and there, there's a clock back here, and I'm thankful for it. I have a clock up here in front of me as well. But there are some churches that I've seen where you know if you go stand on the stage, it's not a little you know round clock with the, the arms on it. It's a big, bright red LED right over the back door. And the, the goal is, hey, preacher, you need to know what time it is because we hungry. Um, that, that, that's why, that, don't lie, that's, that's why it's there in some churches, you know, it, which, is, which is fine. I need to respect y'all's time uh, and, I, and I do my best to, but it, it's a good thing to know what time it is, Right? You carry around a watch or you carry around a cell phone or you set an alarm when you've got important things coming because you want to know what time it is. Well, Paul says, do this knowing the time. That it's not just important to know the time on a daily basis. It's important to know the time on a biblical and prophetic basis. What do I mean when I say on a prophetic basis? When you read your Bible, the Bible tells you that there are certain events that either have occurred or are going to occur that God had kind of mapped out from the very beginning all the way to the end. That there is a beginning of human history and there is an end. And God has given us signposts along the way. A major signpost. Have you ever heard somebody say, guys, do you think we're living in the end times? You ever heard somebody say that? Let me tell you, your pastor doesn't think we're living in the end times. Your pastor knows it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. So, well, Josh, why do you think that? Because I, I can see it right there in Scripture. The end times beginned roughly 2,000 years ago at the cry of a little baby in a manger in Bethlehem. That's when they began. That all the way up to that point, for thousands of years of human history and biblical history, that humanity was waiting on the promised Messiah. And then suddenly, one day in the middle of the night, in a little tiny backwater town in Israel, the end times began with the cry of a newborn baby that God had come to dwell with us. That from that moment forward, all of human history would be decided based on what you do with that little baby and the man he would become. That's when the end times began. You don't have to look for fulfillment of prophecy on CNN. Look for fulfillment of prophecy in Bethlehem. That's when the end times began. 
So Paul says, do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Every day that goes by, Stapleton Baptist, is a day that we are closer to the fulfillment of our salvation in Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ, every single day that goes by is one fewer day you have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. What does it mean that our salvation is nearer? I thought if I knew Jesus Christ, I already had salvation. Well, first let me explain what I mean by salvation. Why did baby Jesus come that first Christmas? Why did he come? He didn't just come just to say, hey, I'm here and I love you. He didn't come just to be an example. He came because there is something that exists in our human heart called sin. And that sin that exists in us works its way out and expresses itself by sinful actions. Well, all of those sinful actions bear a penalty, namely death. And there's no way for us to escape that death. Physical death and the the death and, and destruction of our body by decay. And spiritual death in that once our body and soul are separated from each other, that our soul being unclean because of sin cannot dwell in the presence of the love and mercy and goodness of God. So it would spend eternity in a place called hell. God loves us and did not wish for that to happen. But he is also just. So he cannot act like our sin is not there. So how does God save us who are sinners, yet also justly condemn our sin? What He did was He sent His only Son, Jesus, to become a human being in every way like us, yet without sin, so that He could live the perfect life that we are incapable of living and die in our place for the sin that He never committed. So because Jesus came and died in our place, He can give us His life. He can give us His goodness and our sin can be forgiven and judged in His death. That way God is able to forgive us and let us live while at the same time be just in judging our sin. That is what I mean by salvation. It happens the very moment you trust and give your life to Christ. When you come to Jesus and you say, God, I admit I am a sinner. I admit that I have wronged you by disobeying you in thought, word, and deed. And there's nothing I can do on my own about it. But I believe, Jesus, that what you did is enough for me. Your death, burial, and resurrection on the cross was enough to pay for my sins and give me eternal life. And I trust you and I want you to forgive me and save me. Right then, your sins are dealt with for all of eternity. There is no waiting for that. So what does Paul mean when he says our salvation is nearer? How can you be saved right now and still have salvation that's coming? How many of y'all that know Jesus Christ sinned some point within the last week? Yeah, if, if you didn't raise your hand, there's your sin. It's called lying. <laughs> you did. Just then. Just now. In church. No. Um, the fact of the matter is that even though Jesus has saved us from our sin, we still live in fallen human bodies in a fallen human world, and we're still going to screw up. And until we see Him... We're still going to live that life and we're still going to suffer and we're still going to have things go wrong. But we have a day coming 
when we will see him and we will be like him and we will be delivered from suffering and we will be delivered from sin. And that's what Paul means when he says our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. But I want to take you back to this man named Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32, that God had promised Simeon that you're not going to die before seeing the salvation of Israel. And he says, Lord, Mary and Joseph walk in with Jesus like a good Jewish uh, couple of parents and they, they bring their child to the temple and Simeon sees him and they lay the child in this priest's arms and he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That Simeon had been looking forward to the coming of Jesus the first time. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus the second time. But Simeon and and we are saved by the same Jesus. He was looking forward to the cross. We look back to it. He was looking forward to his first coming. We are looking forward to the second. That one day, much the way Simeon saw Jesus and said, there's my salvation. One day, Jesus will step out of heaven and lay his foot back on this earth and we will say, there is my salvation. That's what I've been waiting for this whole time. And Paul says that day is getting closer. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That you should know that the return of Christ is coming. Guys, listen. God prophesied thousands of years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem that He was going to come. He came. Did he not? So God has also prophesied thousands of years ahead of time that Christ would come again. If God told the truth the first time, shouldn't you believe that he's telling the truth the second time? Paul says, know what time it is. Know that every day that goes by, we are getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Nobody expected him when he came the first time. Nobody's going to expect him when he comes the second. But church, remember, every time you see a nativity scene, every time you see a Christmas tree, every time you see a poinsettia, that those are reminders that the beginning of the end happened in Bethlehem. That when you celebrate Christmas, the timer... Y'all ever have those little wind-up toys as a kid? That you wind them up and they go, maybe it's a music box. You crank it, you crank it, you crank it, you crank it, you crank it. And it starts out and it goes, it's really loud and it's really, you know, kind of boisterous and it sounds really well. But then as it winds down, it starts to slow down and stop. It was wound up at Bethlehem. It had a beginning. It's going to have an end. And every day that goes by, we're getting closer to that return of Christ. Do you know what time it is? What do you do because you know what time it is? Well, look at the very first thing Paul said in verse 11. He says, do this. Do this. Live your life colored by the realization that the night is far spent. That you don't have much time. You know, I was talking to somebody this week. You know, I'm, I'm a 29-year-old, but the reality is I don't have much time on this earth. 
None of us in here have much time on this earth. My daughter, 16 months old, she doesn't have much time on this earth. Well, Josh, she's got her whole life ahead of her. Sure she does. A whole human life is not that long, is it? It's not. We're like the flower of the field. We're here today, we're going tomorrow. You don't have much time. Do you know what time it is? Are you living your life with the realization that you are closer now to seeing Jesus than you were one second ago, one minute ago, one hour ago, one day ago? That that time is not coming back. You've got a limited amount of time. So do you know what time it is? And second, the night is drawing to a close. Look at verse, the second half of, uh, look at verse 12. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. <clears throat> so, the, he says, therefore, when Paul says, therefore, he's basing that on what he just said, that we ought to know what time it is, that our time on this earth before the return of Christ is running short and is going to continue to run shorter and shorter and shorter until heavenly, heaven finally breaks in onto earth. Therefore, we should live differently. How? He says, cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Walk properly like people walking in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, lewdness and lust or strife and envy. The idea here is that there are things that go on at night and there are things that go on in the daylight. Okay? Paul is not saying that these things are okay as long as they're done at night. Alright? When he says, uh, let us cast off the works of darkness, he doesn't mean that as long as it's dark, it's okay for you to uh, be revelrous and drunk. It's not okay to be lewd and lustful. It's not okay to cause strife and to be envious as long as it's dark. It's not saying there's ever an appropriate time for those actions or those thoughts. But <clears throat> why are they the actions of darkness? Because when you think about dark, you, know, why, you got lights in your house, don't you? Why do you have lights in your house? Why do you turn them on? So you can what? See. The reason these are works of darkness is because they're done in darkness because people know they ought not be seen. You know, they're, they're done in darkness because they're shameful. They're think, have you ever heard, some, heard the phrase in broad daylight and usually it's used to express shock that someone would do something out there in the open for everybody to see? For instance, I can't believe that uh, he stole his bike in broad daylight. I can't believe that they wore that outside in broad daylight. Well, what you're actually saying is you're not shocked that they did it in the light, you're shocked that they were openly willing for people to see what they were doing, right? That's what you're surprised about. These are works of darkness because they're things that are done when nobody's going to see, nobody knows. I don't want anybody to know about this. Paul is saying, guys, listen. The night is far spent. 
Night is dark. Okay, that's the reason we've got street lights or you've probably got lights at your house that as the sun goes down, we artificially raise the light level because darkness is, that's when things are hidden. That's when things that are not seen in the daylight come out. That's when it's just, it's not always the, the happiest time. Paul is saying there's a day coming where the sun is creeping over the horizon and the darkness is going to be banished and there's going to be no more hiding the deeds of darkness in darkness. Everything will be in broad daylight. This is why when I turn on the news and I see report after report after report of so-and-so found hiding this, investigators looking into this did so and so lie to so and so who was investigating or or congress or a, or a fbi or do you know why i don't really lose much sleep about that because one day the sun's going to come out and there's not going to be anything hidden anymore I, I, i'm i'm not worried about it that I serve a Jesus who said, whatever, I, whatever, I, whatever you hear and in, in whisper, shout it from the rooftops. Whatever's done in secret, shout it from the rooftops. Because there's going to come a day when nothing's going to be hidden. Everything's going to be exposed. The sun's going to come out. Light's going to rise. Darkness is going to be vanished. There's not going to be any more of these hidden, dark shenanigans going on in the background. There's not going to be any more The night is ending. The birth of Christ signals that the day is coming. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 7. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk, get drunk at night. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This list is not meant to be exhaustive of the things that are done in the darkness. There are plenty of things that are deeds of darkness and lives of darkness that you don't get in this little tiny short list. Paul's making a point. He's saying, guys, if you know the day is coming, if you know that the sun is about to rise, if you know that the night is ending, why continue living as though it is night? Early to bed, early to rise. That the sun is about to come up, why don't you rise early? You've got a limited amount of time to work. Don't sleep in when it comes to Jesus, y'all. Don't slumber. I got time. It's okay. I'll just, I'll just take my time. I got other things I want to do first. Maybe when I get a little bit older and I'm staring down the barrel of, you know, X age, whatever, then I'll get serious about Jesus. Then maybe I'll consider the church. Well, you don't know that. 
Because the fact of the matter is, because we are in the end times right now, y'all know the Lord Jesus could come back before I finish this sentence? Do you know that the eastern sky can split before we lock that door and turn these lights out today? Do you know that you might not ever get to sit in your pew through another invitation that you don't respond to? That's very real. This is not theoretical. I'm not standing up here putting on a show that Christmas is a time of joy. It's a time to be joyful and to exult in peace on earth and goodwill toward those on earth whom, on whom the Lord's favor rests. That there is, a, there is reality to that. But the flip side of that is that was the beginning of a process that is eventually going to have an end. Now is the time for you to wake up now is the time for you to stop slumbering. Now is the time for you to stop living a life in darkness. Do not postpone it. Do not wait until you don't have time. Don't do it. Why not live a life in the light right now? Why not live a life knowing that one day there's not going to be room for the deeds of darkness. There's not going to be room for concealment. There's not going to be room for you living like a child of the dark. Did you hear what Paul said in Colossians that he delivered us from the power of darkness? That you're not living in darkness right now. What, what you're doing is you're allowing darkness to live in you. You don't control it. It controls you. Jesus has given you freedom from that if you so choose it. Would you rather be a child of the night or would you rather be a child of the day? Because eventually the night will be gone. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to break you free from that darkness. So do you know what time it is? The night is drawing to a close. And finally, the day is quickly coming. Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. This is the alternative to walking in darkness. You know, these lights in here, I, they're on dimmers. Right? So the, the switches to turn them on are in the back of this room. And... You click them, they come on, but then you can turn them and it gets a little bit brighter or a little bit darker. That, that, that's just the way it, it works. I know there are people in here who know more about electricity than I do. Um, I, I just know push button, get light, turn knob, light go dim. That's all I know. <laughs> um, I don't know how all of it works. But the solution, the solution is not less, be less dark. It's not to turn a dimmer, okay? That, that's, not what, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying uh, be less dark. He's saying banish the darkness. Put on Christ. This is not a dose of do better, to quote somebody that, that, that I know. Uh, the, the Bible gets mistaken a lot as a book that 
tells you, you're a bad person, God is good. So you ought, to be, you ought to do good things so that a good God will be happy with you because a good God punishes bad people. That's the way Christianity gets presented a lot of the time. When the reality is, God is good, but we're all bad people, and nothing we can do makes us good people. You can't do enough good stuff for God to be satisfied with your level of goodness. The only solution for God being satisfied with your level of goodness is for Him to give someone else's goodness for, to you, i.e. Christ. That's why Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus provides for you everything you need to be a child of the day. Everything. Say, well, pastor... You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what all I've done. You don't know what all I've been through. No, I sure don't. And you know what? I don't necessarily need to. Because the reality is that regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, Jesus is just as able to forgive you and heal you and make you whole today as he is anybody else. If you are breathing, there is hope for you. It is a lie of the devil and a lie of the darkness that you, are, that you are without hope. See, Satan loves to keep you in darkness. He loves to keep you in loneliness and saying, oh my goodness, if people knew that I, I was actually a bad person, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. When the reality is, nobody in this room is a good person. And we all know that about ourselves. Every single one of us. Your pastor is not a good person. I know this will shock you, but I sin. On a right regular basis. <gasps> it's true. Donna. Yep. Emily's laughing. She knows. Sure I sin. Well, pastor, you ain't sinned like I have. No, you ain't sinned like I have either. There's not a one of us in here that is qualified to be God's family. Not a one. I've heard people say, man, I'm about afraid that if I walk in that church, the roof might fall in. Ever heard somebody say that? Yeah, Here, here's the appropriate response to that. When somebody says that to you, been okay every time I've walked in there. Y'all, the solution to, to leaving the darkness is not to try and do better. The solution to leaving the darkness is to put on Christ. That Jesus is your goodness. Jesus is what you need. Jesus is the only thing that you need. And after putting on Christ, Paul says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That Jesus says, <clears throat> that what the Bible says is you put on Christ. I'm going to quote my previous pastor. You come to Jesus, Jesus will take care of your want to. Now, it might not always be easy. And you might not be 100% successful because you are in a fallen human body right now. 
But you know what? You come to Jesus and I promise you those things that you used to enjoy doing that were works of darkness, you won't enjoy doing them nearly as much anymore. They'll upset you. And the Holy Spirit will do what I like to call eat your lunch. You'll be miserable in your sin. What in the world? What's happened to me? I'll tell you what's happened. Jesus gave you a new heart. Jesus gave you a new heart that hates your sin. And so Paul cautions you, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. If you go to the David and Bathsheba portion of the Old Testament, it starts out by saying, and it was the time of the year when kings go out to war. And I always laughed about that. I told Jesse and Abby this morning, I'm like, did David flip his calendar the next page? And he was like, ah, it's war day. It's the time when I'm supposed to be at war. No. But, but the fact is, David was supposed to be out on the battlefield, was he? No. He was in the palace. And when Joseph's brothers were getting ready to, to kill him, what got them there? The fact that they didn't deal with their problems with their brother ahead of time. They allowed the bitterness and the anger to sit and fester. And they gave opportunity to the wickedness that was already in their hearts. Paul says, no, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and then remove every opportunity you have from allowing sin to, corrupt, to, to tempt you back into the works of darkness. Make no provision for it. Live like children of the day. And then finally, in 1 John 1, 5 through 7, John says, this is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> so here's what I want to encourage you with this morning, Stapleton. Do you know what time it is? The night is far spent. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ,